voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, John. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys. Oh, Lord, we stand here and we adore you. All hail, Redeemer, hail. You are the Lord of all. You are the King of kings. You are the one that we just read about. God, you are stunning and amazing. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you even for the grace that's shown in this passage. That even in the unworthiness of John before you, you put your strong right hand of blessing on him and said, Fear not, how sweet. You are the King of kings. All hail, Redeemer, hail. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Please grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We are entering into the seven churches, Revelation 1 through 3. We've covered Revelation chapter 1, and today uh, we're beginning of chapter 2. Hey, Ephesus. He knows, he knows. Uh, By the way, the picture that you see on the screen is not Ephesus, in case you were wondering. Uh, It is Indianapolis. There's a lot of similarities with Ephesus and Indianapolis. I'm not going to go into all the geography of it. I actually don't think it's all that important for what we're talking about today. But just know this, what we are about to talk about is not just for a group of people way back when that has no application for us. This is not a history lesson today. This is an application lesson today. May I remind us that all of Revelation is for the purpose of revealing Jesus. It is about Jesus revealing Jesus, the first words of the whole book. Um, That's what this is about. And so we begin in chapter 2. First of the seven churches. You ready? Okay, one more time. Get a running start. You ready to go? All right, let's do it. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let's hold there because we need to set some items on the table. Uh, Verse 1 here is really important. I need to spend a little bit of time on this because if you look on the other churches, they all start out the same way. To the angel of the church of. You see that? You can look down, verse 8, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Uh, Then verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, and so on and so forth. And uh, in understanding this, it's an interesting question because we, we begin with this statement, to the angel of the church of. 
There's a lot of discussion about what this means. The word for angel here is in most, in most translations have it is in the Greek is angelos. The base foundational meaning of the word, and this is really important. The base foundational meaning of the word is first and foremost that of messenger, a messenger. Now, an angelic being is a messenger of God uh, in that. And most of the New Testament, when this word angelos comes along, it is referring to an angelic heavenly being, God's angels, or even in passages like Matthew 25, 41, it's talking about uh, Satan's demonic angelos, okay, uh, in that. So majority of the times in the New Testament is talking about heavenly beings, you know, with the little wings and the white and the golden sash and the various... However, that's seen, right? Something like that. Um, but what is it here? Because many, many times in the New Testament, the word angelos is also understood to be a messenger as in a human messenger. Passages like Luke seven twenty four, Luke 9, 52, James 2, 25. It's understood clearly in that that it's a human messenger. This is, understand, it's angelos. It means messenger. How do we know what it means? Well, there's really two ways we know what it means. Number one is context. What's going on? It's just, by the way, it's the same thing with spirit. Anuma in the New Testament. Is it, is it the spirit of a person or is it the Holy Spirit? And so you, by context, you come to understand. Also, the other thing that comes into play in this is what does scripture teach about that? And so those are the two things, context and biblical teaching on a topic to understand. So uh, in this, there's a much discussion if you're going to commentators. And because every week for the next six weeks, we're going to be hitting on this. I just want to clarify so you understand where I'm at uh, on this when we talk about it. So I don't have to each week go and kind of re-explain what's going on. So I'm going to take a couple minutes here to do that. There's four main views on what the, the angel to the church of is referring to. The first one that just naturally makes sense is uh, an angelic heavenly being, one of God's angels. Um, That's, I think, when we read that in English to the angel of, that's normally what we think. And that is one that some people think that's what it's talking about. Basis of that is, is that they say that all of the other uses of the word angelos, which is like 50 times in the book of Revelation, Uh, All of the other times outside of chapters two and three, it refers to a heavenly being. So why would John therefore then refer to it as a human being in this situation? I'll just say I understand that, but we've already talked about the layout of the book of Revelation and coming out of chapter one, verse 19. And chapters four through 22 are unique. It's future events. Chapters two and three are about that present now thing. And so the fact that you could talk about the term in different contexts and have different uh, understandings of it, uh, I actually am one where that isn't enough to validate that I believe that this is a, a heavenly being. Um, A second basis that the angelic being approach has is that out of Daniel 10, out of Daniel 10, it has this concept. And against this idea, what does the Bible teach? And it comes out of this concept out of Daniel 10, that there was an angel that was involved in with God's people fighting for guardian over God's people. And so the thought is, well, hey, if it did it back there, why could that not be the case up here with the New Testament and these local churches? Um, Understand, but uh, I think that's a little bit of a stretch Um, And here's why. Uh, Nowhere in the New Testament is it taught that there's such a thing as guardian angels over local church. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see that. 
Along with that, uh, the New Testament does not teach that angels are involved in the leadership of a local church. Well, Doug, uh, we're not talking leadership. Well, if you understand each of these and walk through each of these churches, this messenger, this angelos person, does have some leadership reality with a local church. And again, nowhere in the New Testament do I see anything about, a lead, about an angel, heavenly being, having leadership within some kind of capacity with a local church. Also, nor have angels ever shown uh, revealing themselves to an entire local congregation. And the objective of this book was that each of these churches, that it be read to these people. And it's told, write this and then have an angel read it to the people. Uh, Plus on top of that, I'll just add John writing to have an angel read it. Something just isn't fitting for me here. And I'm just kind of bringing all that together to say good people, even like Henry Alford from the 1800s who has a good commentary on Revelation, hold that view. I just don't. I just want for you to know, I do not think that this is a heavenly angelic being. A second idea for angelos is the personification of the local church. That it's not a heavenly being, but it's kind of this uh, category where it's the messenger is the local church as a whole. It's kind of a figurative form. It's, it's the idea of a prevailing spirit of that local church. And the reason is, is because it could be translated as to the messenger, which is the church in Ephesus. And that's kind of where that view comes from. Some good people hold that view. Mount Sweet Morris and others hold that view. I just... Without going any deeper, I, I don't. I don't think that's what it's referring to. Uh, Angelos, the third view is that it's a human messenger representative. Back in the day, before they had the completed scriptures, uh, local churches oftentimes had a person who was kind of the designated secretary, a messenger guy between some of the local churches. And that was a uh, kind of an important person that was a part of it. And it was viewed at that time, well, maybe this is that messenger, uh, secretary of communication sorts of person that it's referring to. Um, For me on that one, the central problem with that is that in chapter one, whoever this is in chapter one, it says Christ is holding them in his right hand. And I'll just say this. I just don't think it's a secretary of communications. Okay. By the way, may I add this? What else is in his right hand? The local church. That means everybody. Okay. So don't get wigged out by this conversation. Like we're, you know, Doug's getting all arrogant, you know, when, about what I'm about to say, okay? This is, everybody's held in his church, but yet there's a, a, another, I think, another person here. Who is this? I actually think that this is the fourth common view, that it's a human representative from a leader in a local church. In other words, from the eldering pastors, the leading elders kind of a thing, that it's one who represents that. That's who this messenger is. Now, there's some who, who take it to the point, uh, uh, Pastor James with Harvest, he says he thinks that it's actually the senior pastor. I actually don't think that's the case here. And the reason I don't think that's the case is because of back in this time in 95, 96 AD, you didn't have a senior pastor in the kind of capacity we do nowadays. I actually think it's a blessing nowadays that we have the ability to do some of this kind of stuff and have vocational pastors. Back then, it was all more lay elder kind of structures with things. A plurality of leadership was going. And so I don't think this is necessarily the senior pastor. I think that's a bit of a modern day view kind of pulled into it. I actually think this is just one of the uh, representatives of the leaders of a local church. That's a big deal. I think that's a big deal because it's both comforting and it's also, as we'll talk later, it's convicting. There's a weight. And, And throughout the scripture, we see a weightiness 
on God putting on the leaders of his people. And yet they're in his right hand. Oh yeah, and so is the rest of the church. Okay, so this isn't an arrogant thing. This is just trying to understand. And, and again, if you're a little bit wigged out by that or think that's a little bit odd or for me to say that uh, in this context of it as a leader here at this church, I'll just say this. Be careful with our American um, democratic mindset, all vote, all those kind of culture. Um, Oftentimes, I think our cultural background is read into understanding what the scriptures in. And in that day, they had a plurality of leadership in these churches. And I think this is one of those leading guys uh, representing them, uh, who's mediating uh, the rule of Christ in his church. Okay? So I want for you to know that. Kind of a little class is over. Um, that's kind of how uh, I understand that. Different people have some different views. That's okay. This is not a pen issue. Um, this is uh, wanted for you to know where I'm at, all right? I think this is the human leaders of a local church that uh, is in his right hand along with the local church, and that's what it's talking about. Well, let's move on. To the messenger of the church in Ephesus, what are they supposed to do? Uh, John, what's John supposed to do? Write. He's to write uh, down, and, and he's asked to write, and uh, he's asked to write a letter uh, this book, by the way, again, I, I'm going, how is it that John could be writing this book and then having asking angelic beings to read it to the church? Again, I'm kind of getting back. I just don't think option number one is a good fit for what messenger is. So he's asked to write, write what? Uh, the text goes on to say, the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him. The words of him who? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, that's Jesus. That's Revelation 1 Jesus, uh, shown and magnified in full glory, really up to this point in time in, in biblical uh, history that God has revealed himself. As I've said in the past, this ain't no poor carpenter's son, Jesus no more. Yes, it is, but no, it isn't. This is Jesus full magnified out. This is Jesus full glory. All on the table we've seen uh, out. I mean, I'm telling you, friends, as I've mentioned, I think we need to mature up and we need to see a revelation, one Jesus, and not the hippie in the sandals Jesus. Um, This is Jesus. By the way, uh, for those of you who have a um, red letter edition Bible, um, in other words, where everything that Jesus says is printed in red, chapters two and three, what color print is it? It's all red. That means that Jesus is speaking here. And uh, remember, whenever Jesus speaks, it's an opportunity for him to reveal about himself. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. Oh, and it's, you know, yeah, it has future stuff, but it's ultimately about revealing Jesus. So everything we read right now, I want for us to get to know Jesus more because that's what this is all about. To his local churches, Jesus has something to say. And by the way, verse 1, in there it says Jesus does something. It says he walks among what? What Along what? And in uh, end of chapter 1, we find out that the seven golden lampstands are the seven local churches being talked to here. And what does Jesus do? He walks among. Okay, everybody up top, you're freaking out right now, aren't you? (laughs) 
This is like daddy coming for discipline or something. (laughs) Think about this. Jesus is not far off and distant. He's literally walking among. By the way, I stand here right at this moment just so that you know, in our new facility, guess what? It's more this direction. Like here, everybody's way deep and it's gonna be more like this. So I just wanna say everybody in the back, welcome. (laughs) This is preparatory. Um, But I'm gonna wig you out here for a minute. Hang on here. I'm just gonna walk among, okay? And I want for you to feel this because think about it. Jesus is walking among and we walk among. That means you know more what's happening. I will tell you on a Sunday, really, I, I can't even quite pull out some of your faces and plus I'm in my own little world on that. But when someone's walking among and I just right now I'm looking around and I'm already right now, there's things going on in people's lives. God's been doing a work in families and people and individuals. And, uh, you know, it just brings to mind uh, things that have taken place as you walk among. I'm so glad that Jesus walks among and is not like far off and distant. Um, yeah, you wigged out? I'm going to kind of try and make my way here. It's all right. I'll try not to. <laughs> it's so cool. Just, you know, here's two families that we knew when we were up in Lafayette, and they're here. This is just, you know, you walk among. And we just kind of getting to know each other more just a little while ago. Yeah, there's just something about walking among, I, you know, I know with the apartment stuff going up and, you know, and just, oh my goodness, the stuff you guys have had on your table. Wow. And people coming along and helping and you got the idea? This is what, I'm not Jesus, okay? We know that. But he is walking among. He is. He's walking among. And he sees and he knows. And By the way, look in verse two. What are the first two words of verse two in the chapter? I know. Now it's interesting because the word that's used there in the Greek is oida. It has this concept in it that it's not just about progressive knowing. It's not someone who's kind of began to put the pieces together The word has this idea that it's absolute knowing. Well, Jesus knows absolutely because, well, he's Jesus. No, but the term that's used here is Jesus is not just saying, because there's multiple words in Greek for knowing, I know, but he uses this one term here and he's giving this idea that I know, I know. Oh, by the way, look at the other churches here as you go down, what is it, verse 9. What's it say, the first two words? Uh, Go to verse 13, first two words. 19. Every one of these churches, he starts out with this basically, I oida. I know. One, he knows because he's Jesus. Two, he knows because he walks among. I love that. I love that. And he walks among his churches and he knows what's going on in his churches. 
He knows what's going on in his churches. He knows what's going on with his people. And because of what he knows, he has some things to say to each of these churches. And I think right now, sometimes what ends up happening is, is when we hear that, that especially this idea that the Revelation chapter one, Jesus knows absolutely. Um, we respond like verse 17, chapter one, when I saw him, I fell at his feet though dead. And it scares the living bejeebers out of us, doesn't it? But may I remind you of what happened next in verse 17? John's face down, scared to death, think he's going to die because he's before the holiness of God. And the Revelation 1, 1, takes his right hand, the hand of strength and the hand of blessing, and he bends down and he puts it on John. Fear not. And right now when a text starts out where this Revelation 1, Jesus is saying, I know everything. May I just remind us that this is the exact same one who put his hand on him and said, fear not. Right now today, these two words, this I know, may be what you need to hear today. That he knows I don't know, maybe for you in this right now is you're here. Well, let me just put it this way. Hey, church, it's good to know that Jesus knows. It is good to know that Jesus knows. Do you, do you ever feel like, does anyone really know what I'm going through? I mean, I put out and I put out and I work hard and I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that. Does anybody really know? It's hard, isn't it? I feel like that at times. And I know you do too. May I remind you he knows. Hey, he knows. You might be here just exhausted physically, spiritually. He knows. He knows. knows we just need to camp on that I need to camp on that he knows maybe you're lonely right now he knows. Maybe you're really fearful right now with life. Or just hurting. Or just discouraged. 
Maybe you're caught up in something. On the loving side of that, I just want to say he knows. Maybe you're even wondering, like, does anybody know what I've gone through or what um, failed leadership at a past church or, I don't know, maybe this church or... um, Just the hurt I've experienced. He knows. Let me remind you, he has the leadership and he has that church in his hand. And he's got it. He's a big boy. He knows. The fact that he knows can be very, very comforting. And I think sometimes we lose that. That's why I'm spending the time on this. But I do also want to have us remember that the fact that he knows is also convicting. He knows hidden sin. He knows my and your sinful attitudes even when it looks right on the outside. He knows when you gossip about people, about leadership, about the church. He knows you're in my pride. (laughs) He, He knows our hypocrisy. We just can't game him. But boy, don't we try to. Well, let's move on. Uh, Verse two and three, it's good to know that Jesus knows my works. It's good to know that Jesus knows my works. Look at this. He's speaking about this local church and he says, I know your works. I know your toil and I know your patient endurance and I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who have called themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and I know you are bearing up for my name's sake and I know you have not grown weary. Whoa, that's, friends, that's a pretty cool list. I mean, Jesus isn't just like, you know, I, I, I know you guys are doing the deal. Way to go, you guys. Woo! Yeah. He's like getting specific. Have you ever gotten complimented in general? It, it is, it, isn't it encouraging and helpful and nice? But boy, when you get complimented in specific, I'm telling you, it's just there's been thought behind that compliment. Someone noticed something unique in that arena. There is something unique about you, and I want to communicate my gratitude for you in relationship to that. And Jesus here with this church says, there are some unique, specific things about your church that I'm loving right now. And he applauds it. How cool is that? I wonder what Jesus would say about us. I really do. Because I don't think it would just be like, way to go, Harvest Indy West. Uh, I think it would be some specifics. I don't know what it would be. I think I'd like to hear. Hey, children's workers.
He knows your week in and week out work. Set up crew. He knows your week in, week out faithfulness in doing that. Worship team, tech guys and gals, bless your hearts. And he knows. Small group leaders, he knows you got the hardest job in this whole church ministry. Single parents, hey, he knows the work you have to put in. He knows. Parents, he knows. Sometimes as much as you love them, don't you just, yeah, you know. And yet something about parenting shows you how ultimately selfish you are, doesn't it? But I'm just grateful that he knows that we're trying. I really am. I just want to make sure we understand that. But let's not sit there too long because that can turn into puffed up. Let's savor it for the moment because there's a big but in the text. Verse four. But. Oh, hold on here. Because is this one of those things where it's like, you want the good news, the bad news first? <laughs> and in this one, you don't have any choice. Or is this Jesus just buttering them up and like, it's not, okay, now that I, you know, now that I got you where you're like, oh, hugs, hugs, hugs. And it's like, now I really want to tell you what I'm here to say. Okay, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is an honest evaluation of what's taking place. And uh, I'm just going to go to the point right now at this point, Chris, and it's good to know that Jesus knows my failures. It's good to know that Jesus knows my failures in this. I don't think he's buttering them up to get to what he really wants to talk about. I think the, the verse 2 and 3 was just as important as the verse 4 stuff. But it's hard to take criticism. So let's try and be sensitive here and take it. Look, look at this. But I have this against you. Whoa. And Jesus is just love, 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 hugs, love. Jesus just love, 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 right? And this is Jesus with his own peeps. It's like, but, but we've got a problem, my friends. My kids, we got, we got an issue, and I want to talk with you about it. Why, why does he talk about this? Because he knows. Because he walks among them and he's been observing this. By the way, what's about to be said is stated in a verb form, uh, class goes on, uh, a verb form that's a present active indicative verb. Nate's having a blast right now with his Greek studies. Um, It means that it's something that's been continuously happening. And it's continuing to happen. What we're about to read is not like, hey, I know you guys had a bad week in this area. That's not what's happening. This is like Jesus saying, but there's a problem here and it's a problem that has been going on and on and on and on and I need to love you enough to address it here. Okay, got the picture on that? It's not Jesus standing there like going, oh, this last week was a bad week. Now this is Jesus going, but we got a problem here because I'm seeing a pattern that's been happening in this church, in the church in Ephesus. And here's what it is. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
how could this be? Because this is a church that is just like working hard, aren't they? I mean, they're working and they're, they're, they're working and they're laboring and they're persevering and they're not tolerating evil and they're hoopomoning and bearing up under. Uh, they're not growing weary. Uh, that sounds like a church that loves Jesus because they're doers, right? I mean, doers of the word love Jesus. Hey, listen in this. Doers of the word uh, can also uh, do and not love. Have you been a part of a church like that? Maybe have you been part of a small group here? Or a kids ministry here? Or maybe even this morning coming here, it's just been like, oh gosh, I gotta go to church. I bring all that up just because the Lord understands that at times. But when it's presently, actively, and continuously happen, now we have a problem. Because we have a pattern of behavior and thinking and of a heart. And he knows. And by the way, this is uh, most likely not just a lost love for Jesus, but likely also a lost love for one another. They're working hard together, but they're not loving each other. They're working for the Lord, but they're not loving the Lord. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah. Oh, Peter. Do you love me? Well, look what all I've given up, man. God, I know I failed in the last little bit, but I've given up my whole life, my business for you. No, Peter. Do you love me? I don't know if you've grown up with a view that loving Jesus is all about doing Jesus. Loving Jesus is all about loving Jesus. By the way, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah. Well, then feed my sheep. You see, the action is to follow the love. Action is supposed to be there. But action doesn't replace love. Action should be out of the love. I just want to ask you right now, how's your love with Jesus? Because here, if there's a whole church that lost its love for Jesus, and, and gang, I don't think that's what's happening here right now as a church overall. I don't think that's the case what's happening here. I just see... I just think I genuinely see people that love the Lord here and it's like, oh, I love being here and I love the Lord here and with you. And I don't think this is, I don't think we're Ephesus, but I will say this. Um, I don't think Ephesus thought that they would ever get to this point. And frankly, I don't think Ephesus knew that they were at this point. Let's not get cocky. Because it could happen to us. It could happen to me. 
It's not fun, but Jesus knows my failures. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I think it was a couple years ago, Jill got me a couple of big cymbals and brought them in. We we're talking on this passage. And, you know, the cymbals are kind of cool because, like, you know, and you're watching a football game or you're watching a, a music or something, like, boom, and at the right time, it's awesome. You're like, boom, 1812 overture, right? You know, boom, boom, everything. Yeah, I set off the fireworks. And it's really cool and all this. And, but then I was like, boom, 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 boom. And everybody's like, shut him up. I don't know if you remember that. But that's what's being talked about in the text. Hey, you do, 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 and there's not love in it? Shut it down. Wow. Couples. Have you lost the love for one another? Yeah, but we got a house and we're eating and we're feeding the kids and no. But what's the love like? Parents. Well, we've got a roof and we've got food and we set guidelines. But are the kids feeling the love? Dads, has has your career become the mistress of your wife and kids? Teens, I'm following my parents' rules, and I despise it all. Where's the love in that? Redeemed one in Christ, I walked forward. I drove the stake in the ground. I go to church. I read my Bible, sort of. I serve. I go to small group. But do you love Jesus? Do you see your serving as your loving Jesus only? Can you argue the doctrines and the theologies and think that's loving Jesus only? Are you giving faithfully or people think you're spiritual, but there's no love or it's not growing? Here's the cool part. Jesus has a solution. Look at this. Jesus knows the solution. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. I could spend a lot of time there, but just quickly, because I'm going long and we're going to have communion here in just a moment, finish the service out. Um, Remember. Hey, do you... If, if you've come to Christ, do, do you remember those that time where you first came to understand in a whole new way that you're a sinner separated from God, Romans 3.23, but and that the, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, and uh, yet, uh, but Christ died for you. And I think of Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, that, that I, was, I was depraved and I had no hope. And But God, but God, rich in mercy, 
he, he, he came and he died on the cross and he made the provision for, for me to be able to redeem from, the, from the, the, the eternal pit of hell. And by receiving him as my savior, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, I can be redeemed and pulled out of that. I'm not stuck there anymore. I didn't deserve it, but he did that for me. And, uh, and I remember the day where I received Jesus Christ as my savior and I drove the stake in the ground and, and just knowing because of what scripture says, I am redeemed. The stuff of the past, it's gone. It's been forgiven. He's got it all. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on me, over me. It's not because I'm awesome. It's because he's awesome. How often do I forget that? And I get caught in my sad head. My little irritations of life. And I lose the love. Again, we're not just talking like in a hard week. Present active continuous. This would turn into a pattern. And Jesus says, remember. Listen, if you're there, you need to go and you need to remember. Remember it. And then what's the next thing? Repent. Repent. Change of mind. I agree with God. That's wrong. Uh, I've lost the love and I need to repent. Oh God, I'm wrong. I've been wrong and I repent and I, and I declare it as you see it and uh, forgive me, Lord. I repent. Oh, by the way, what's the next thing right after that? Uh, do the works. Hey, re- repentance without life change is not Repentance. How do you know if someone's truly repented? You know if someone's truly repented if their life has change to it. Not perfection, but change in it. And so it is get after. Put legs to it. It's the difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance as 2 Corinthians 7 talks about. Hey, I just want to say today, I don't think this is a problem here at this church as a whole. But in this kind of thing, it may be the kind of a day where it's like you just sit back and you go, you know, just be straight up. If Jesus were here and he were to say it, I've fallen out of love with him. I would just want to call you back. Come on back. Remember, repent. Let's get at it. Let's finish the text. Eh, How serious is Jesus? Uh, If not... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Uh, Go to Europe. You'll see a lot of churches where Jesus has put their lights out. They're beautiful. Oh my. The gospel's not being proclaimed there anymore. No, dear friends, may it never happen here. Please, let's not. Because Jesus will come and turn the lights out. And there are churches in America where it's lights out. And the people aren't aware of it. If not, I will come to you, remove the lampstand. Verse six, yet this you have. You hate the words of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But Jesus is just love. (laughs) No, he hates some stuff. He really hates some stuff. And they were hating the right things. Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. 
you, Herbis, I just, as I think about this, just kind of as I think about this in my own little mind looking over Indianapolis, if you will, this isn't our problem as a church, I don't think, but it could be. Let's not get there. And if you need to have help, you're just like, I'm in a bad place. We want to help. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've never entered in a relationship with him, I just want for you to know, today's the day, man. Just stop, just stop, just put, put, put it off. The world ain't got nothing to offer. Jesus has got everything to offer. Come and talk. We'd love to do that. Hey, Indianapolis, he knows.